Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. We are in chapter 6, the book of Ephesians chapter 6. The book of Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll begin reading in verse 10. When you got to say so. And the word of the Lord says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Above all, taking the helmet of, uh, the helmet of the shield of faith, I'm sorry, with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, that with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is truth. We thank you for your grace that is sufficient. We thank you for your love that is beyond our knowledge. And today, we ask you, Spirit of God, that even as you have graced us with your presence, that you would speak to us, Lord God, through this time of the word. We ask you, Lord God, to give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to your church, my God. We ask you that you would let us not just be hearers of your word, but doers of it, my God that we would live out the truths that we learn of today or reminded of today, Father. We ask you all of these things. In Jesus' good name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so as we get ready to get into the sermon, if you do not have an outline, raise your hand quickly so the ushers can get you an outline. It's very important to me that you have an outline so that way you can follow along with me in the beginning of the sermon and also so that way you are able to take notes. Very important. Keep those hands up so the ushers can see you. Just for a moment. And for those of you that don't know, the other reason why these outlines are important is because we utilize these outlines to participate in our discussion during Connect. In Connect Life Groups, those are our small groups that meet throughout the week, and we get together and we discuss the sermons. And so we're going over the sermon, and I'm going to call an audible right now because what we have been doing is we have been going over the sermon from the week before, but since this week is the last Connect that we're going to have for the rest of this year, what I'm asking our Connect Group leaders to do is to go over this sermon. So we're not going to go over last week's sermon and this week's Connect. We are going to go over this sermon that I'm going to preach today. And the reason is because I believe that it's important for you to be victorious and walk, you know, as you should in work. But I really want us to discuss within our Connect Groups what we're going to talk about today, which is a, a, a topic that is extremely important, which is spiritual warfare. And so if you are not part of a Connect Group, we highly, highly encourage you to get connected. And we firmly believe that 
Sanctification is not something that happens by ourselves. So I don't become more like Jesus just by hanging out with Jesus alone. I become more like Jesus as I get around other people who are trying to become more like Jesus. And since we all haven't arrived, we rub each other the wrong way. You know, the parts of us that's not like Jesus, right? That part. All right. Praise the Lord. Like that, you know, like those type of things. It just, you know, it, it, and so anyway, we become more like Jesus as we are together in relationship. So it is very important for us to get connected one with the other. And Pastor Chad, who led us in communion, you can see him after the service if you are not part of a connect group and you would like to do that. And so this would be a great week for you to decide just to join one. Even if you're not part of one, join one this week so you can learn what connect is about. Amen? All right, so do we have, this is the last sermon that I'm going to preach in the book of Ephesians, so time is up, all right? So, so you, today's the day. I know some of you have been waiting to get up here so that way you could, you could declare this, this memory verse, right? Come on, Ricky, come on, man. He didn't even let me finish. He's like, yes, I want to do it, glory to God. And so that is awesome. You come on up, brother. All right. Testing. Okay, I didn't hear myself. Pastor Chaz group, Tuesday nights. Amen. <laughs> so, Ephesians chapter 3, verse, oh, chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's the one. That's the one. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Amen. God bless you, brother. Thank you, man. That's awesome. So let's say it together. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let's say it again. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And one more time. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Amen. Give yourselves a hand. <clears throat> now, if you haven't memorized it yet, the year's not over. Amen. You, you still have time to memorize it. You're still breathing, so you still have time to memorize it. I know some of you take a little bit longer. I mean, we've only been here for 15 sermons. I'm just saying. This is sermon number 15, right? But ultimately, the reason why we want you to memorize verses is because the Bible says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, listen, pause for a moment, right? So that sounds really good, right? So, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But there's a reason why we need to have the right mind. It's the way that you, we, you will be able to know what is that acceptable and good and perfect will of God is. So you'll be able to test that. That's the reason. And so when we don't memorize scripture, we're just a lot of times going by our feelings, right? I'm just saying. I know some of you are like, I don't like memorizing verses. Listen, it's a discipline, right? That's part of being a Christian. And so what I'm saying is it may take you a little bit longer than some other people. You may not be able to me memorize as many verses as fast, but trust me. Let me, just, let me just ask this question real quick, just, just, just to prove my point. How many of you have a favorite song? Raise your hand. Come on, raise it up high. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you know at least 
most of the words of that favorite song. Come on, raise it up high. Come on now. I didn't ask you what song it was. You're not incriminating yourself, right? Most, most everyone, right, has a favorite song. Whether it's a Jesus song or not is not the question here. The point is we have a favorite song. And most of us, what we do is we memorize it. You know why we memorize it? Because we listen to it over and over and over and over and over. And other people are over it, and we keep listening to it over and over and over again. And it becomes ingrained in our minds and our hearts. And so what I encourage you to do is you have to do the same thing. And, you know, there may not be a nice little beat that goes with it when you're trying to memorize verses, but, you know, you can, you know, create your own beat, you know. I, therefore, the prison. I'm just joking. I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. I'm not, not. But anyway, you know, you, you, you can do it and make it happen. So I encourage you not just to memorize. My challenge for you, and we're not in 2015 yet, but my challenge for you in 2015 is to memorize at least one new verse, though, not the whole Bible. That's a lot. <laughs> but to memorize at least one new verse a month. So that would be 12 verses. Think about that. You could memorize 12 verses in a year. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Right? I think, and that's doable, right? I mean, you know, you got four weeks in a month, you know, and so you'll be able to do it. So we're going to do that, all right? As a matter of fact, I'm going to hook you up. I'm going to send you a verse list. We're going to have a verse a month next year. That's what we're going to do, a verse a month. No matter where we're at, we're going to have a verse a month. That's what we're doing. Glory to God. Amen. All right, so we're getting into our sermon now. Let's look down at our outline here, all right? We are in the last sermon in our Walk Worthy series, and what we've been talking about is us walking worthy according to the calling that God has put upon our lives. That's the reason why we memorize First Corinthians, I mean, Ephesians chapter 6, verse, I mean, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It is because that's what that, that's what that portion of the Scripture calls us to, calls us to action to walk worthy to live in a manner that brings glory and honor to Jesus. And so in our outline, in, this clo- in closing this book, the Apostle Paul exhorts the church and reminds them of the battle that we are engaged in, which sadly is ignored by many Christians as though our lives are reduced to simply the here and now or the temporal realm rather than an ongoing fight to the end of our lives. What happens to us, whether we're Christian or non-Christian, what happens to us many times is that we think that our lives are only right here on this plane, on this plateau. We don't think about eternity. We don't think about the fact that there will be a day where you will no longer breathe in the oxygen that is in this room and on this earth, and you will meet your maker, and you will either be invited into his kingdom, or you will spend eternity separated from him suffering in hell. That is a reality. And so we have to come to terms with that, but also realize that in in, in realizing that, realizing and recognizing that our lives are not just on this flat plane here and what we do right now, because what we try to do then is we try to experience all of our pleasures nowadays, right now, while we're living, instead of waiting for the glory that is to be revealed. What we want to do is we want to engage, we want to engage in everything that our flesh, this is what, this is what your flesh wants. Your flesh wants you to go ahead and do whatever feels good. So whatever that is, if it's partying, that's what your flesh wants you to do. If it's having all kind of illicit sexual activity, that's what your flesh wants you to do. If it's getting drunk, getting high, if it's fighting, being violent, angry, whatever it is, your flesh wants to engage in all of those activities because your flesh is only concerned with what? The here and the now. That's the reality. And so if, if you don't think that I'm telling you the truth, then ask a few people that try to diet. Hello. What does dieting have to do with eternity? Nothing at all. Listen, 
The point is, our flesh wants to engage and eat whatever it wants, right? We want to have whatever we want at our fingertips. We don't want to have, we don't want to say no to cheesecake. Hello, for some of you that like cheesecake, you know, or for others, we don't want to say no to carrot cake because, you know, whatever the reason is. And especially during Christmas time, you know, for those of you, you know, boudin, hello, I'm just saying, right? You know, you got your tres leches and you got all these different things, right? That bread pudding and, you know, all that. You know, you have all those different amazing desserts that we had at our Christmas party. For those of you that I missed it. You missed it, right? But ultimately, the, the, the reality is when we, we get to that mindset, it's because our flesh wants that. And see, that's the truth. So what we think about many times is all we're thinking about is the here and the now. We're thinking about the money in the bank. We're thinking about the retirement plan. What about if you die today? How did your retirement plan affect you? No way, shape, or form. Well, it affected my kids, yes. It affected my spouse, yes, it did. But I'm talking about you who were looking forward to all those plans, you know, of whatever you had planned. See, so it's important for us to really think about what really matters, and that is what? The bigger scale, the larger scope, the eternity that we should be living for. And what the Apostle Paul does is he brings the church back to this understanding of this battle that we are engaged in. Because not only are we living for eternity, but we are fighting against an enemy that is unseen in the, you know, we don't see the devil right in this room. We don't see demons and angels. You know, you guys have seen movies. There's plenty of movies out there that try to depict the battle that's going on. And, you know, suddenly that drapery of the spirit realm is open and you start to see this battle that's going on. And I want you to know that they, that, that may be very Hollywood, but I want you to realize something. There is a reality to that battle that's going on. And so while you may not see the enemy, while you may not feel the enemy, you can see the effects of the enemy. You can see the things that go on. And so the church must not only be aware of this reality, but it must also be empowered to stand victorious in battle. By the grace of God, Jesus died. Hear me when I say this. Jesus died and resurrected, disarming principalities and powers. You find that in the book of Colossians. And so in essence, we are in battle against the defeated enemy. In essence, I want you to hear this. In reality, we are fighting against an enemy that has already been defeated. See, the battle is not mine. That's what the Old Testament said. The battle is not mine, but the battle is the Lord's. And guess what? Our Lord came into this earth. He lived a sinless, perfect life. Pastor Chad spoke about this gospel that we hear every week, but he came into this earth to live a sinless life, a sin-free life. He went ahead and did that, and then he died in our place. And when he died in our place, he disarmed powers and principalities. In other words, me as a Christian, I need to embrace the fact that I have been given victory over the spiritual battle, but it doesn't mean the battle stops. See, that's the issue for us is that for some reason we think the battle is over. See, here's one thing that I realized that even an enemy who is defeated is still an enemy. If he's not dead, he's still an enemy. Because what will happen is, and this is what our enemy, the devil does, is he, he's like, look, I'm defeated. He knows that. But when we're going to see some stuff, because he doesn't act like a defeated enemy. He doesn't act like he knows he lost this fight. He doesn't know like he read the book of Revelation and he loses. He doesn't act that way. Because what he does is any enemy that's defeated, you know what he's going to try to do? He's going to take as many casualties as he can with him on his way to his defeat. And so it's not that Satan doesn't know that he's defeated. It is not that he doesn't realize what happened on the cross. Oh, he knows that very well. For those of you that may have seen the reenactment, you know, the, the show Champion by Carmen, it's pretty cool. I don't know if things happen like that. But ultimately, Carmen talks about what? Jesus' victory. The enemy, the, those demons thought that they had Jesus defeated. They had defeated God, but they didn't. 
because he rose again. He rises and gives us victory. But what he does, he says, you know what? I may be defeated, but some of these people that are going to be born don't know that. They're going to act like I don't even exist, and I'm going to bring as much destruction. The Bible says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. See, defeated enemy or not, this is what your outline says, Satan has managed to influence the shipwreck of people's faith. In other words, he's caused people who were walking or seemingly walking with Jesus to have their faith shipwrecked. Shipwreck means destroyed. He's destroyed. He's done that to people's faith. He's caused the destruction of marriages. He's caused division in families. He's caused disruption of churches. And ultimately, he has caused distractions or influenced distractions of man from their chief purpose. And that is what? To know God and glorify him. See, because we get so caught up in the tangible stuff of this world that we forget the most important thing is that we know him and that we glorify him. It is not that I have every single desire that I have in this earth. It is not that I check off all the things on my bucket list. I know some of us have that. We have our bucket list, and I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I want to do the next thing. And I have no issue with bucket lists. Just make sure this, everything on your little bucket list, make sure that all of those things bring glory and honor to God. Make sure that the chief end of your life is not that you check off the list of things that you had to do before you died, but that you make sure that you did one thing, and that is glorify and honor the one who created you, died for you, and offers you salvation. That becomes the, 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 the most important thing for our lives. And so this first thing I ask you to repeat after me, and we'll talk about three things today. The first thing we're going to talk about is knowing the nature of the battle. The second thing we'll talk about is being equipped and the battle gear that's provided. And the third thing we'll talk about is being engaged in the battle zone. So repeat this after me. Say, know the nature of the battle. Know the nature of the battle. And so look, at, look, look with me, verses 10 through 13. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against power, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And so we find here this battle that we are engaged in. And what we realize is we need to know the nature of this battle. The battle is ongoing and our enemy, though defeated, is relentless in his attack on our faith. There are three things that are very important. I'm going to go through all of this because in every one of these areas, to be completely honest with you, I could preach, there's really enough material here to preach three different sermons from each point that I'm going to make today, but I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the bones and you need to go ahead and dig and get that meat there. But here's the thing. You need to know this, these three things. The first thing is our strength isn't sufficient to grant us victory in this battle. The second thing you need to know is that the battle plan is well thought out. And the third thing that you need to know is that the, enemy, that, that the enemy's army is well organized. See, when you think about an enemy that is defeated, why would he organize his army so well? And so the first thing is what? Is that our strength isn't sufficient for the victory. What's the first thing that he says? He says, finally, that's the reason why this is the last message, because Paul comes to the conclusion of all of this. I've told you the glory of the gospel. I've told you, I've told you who you are in Christ. I've communicated to you the amazing work on the cross and who God declares that you are. I have communicated to you the way you should deal and interact with one another. I have taught you how 
how husbands should love their wives and wives should submit to their husband. I've taught you how children should honor their parents and parents should raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I've shown you how bosses are supposed to treat their employees and how employees should respect and honor their bosses. And now I want you to know the only way that you are going to be able to embrace the truth that you have heard for three chapters straight about who you are, the only way you're going to be able to be the church I've called, God has called you to be, the only way that you are going to be able to have the marriage God desires, the only way your family is going to reflect God the way that it should, and the only way that you are going to honor God in your work is if you recognize the battle that you are in and if you have victory in it. He says here, he says, finally, finally, my brethren, be strong in your strength. Be strong in the Lord. You see, here's here's why this is so important. Because when we don't realize the spiritual battle that we are in, you know what we do? We depend on our own strength. We depend on our own wisdom. We depend on our own understanding. That's why the book of Proverbs tells us what? It says to lean not on your own understanding. It communicates to us that we should be dependent upon what? The Lord. We should depend on his strength. One of the guys that I love, L, he's sitting in the back over here, and he's, 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 he's one of the best fighters that I know. And if, you, if you've seen his video on Facebook, you would know what I'm talking about. You don't want to fight him. Amen. I'm just saying. But here's the thing. He posted something that was awesome, and it was not that, you know, if I do this, he talked about him, his ability, and the Lord, and him being able to accomplish his dreams. And the one thing that we have to realize is not to negate our ability. You need to know what you're able to do, but you also need to recognize where you end. You need to recognize that your strength is not enough. Your ability is not enough. Your willingness is not enough. We need something more to drive us to the fulfillment of God's will and God's purposes in, 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 in our lives. But we don't do that if we're not depending on his strength. But he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In his might, his power, spiritually. Listen, you can know all the Bible in the world. You can memorize all kind of memory verses. You could have been raised in church, all kind of stuff. You can be a person that knows the things that you're supposed to know about being a Christian. And that does not mean that you are walking in his strength and in his power. We have to be those people that say, God, I recognize I don't have sufficient strength to win this battle. I don't have sufficient strength to fulfill your will. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have it all together. The second thing is that the battle plan is well thought out. Look what it says. It says here, put on the whole armor of God. And what is the purpose of this? That you may be able to stand. Say stand. Say say stand. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. That word wiles is the word methodios in the Greek. And it's the word we get like methodic, right? And what that word literally means is it means crafty scheming with the intent to deceive. It means crafty. And so the enemy who is defeated, he's not, you know what he's doing? He's thinking of ways to deceive you. He's thinking of ways to, 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 to and, and you, know, you know what's the, the best way that he deceives us is by distracting us. See, when he can distract us from our chief end, which is what? To know God and to glorify him. Well, he's got one on us. But then when he can distract us from God's purposes in our lives, then he's got another one up on us. And what he does is he wants to distract us because when he gets us distracted, it's kind of like when you watch those shows. And the Bible uses this terminology about the devil. It says that the devil is like a roaring lion who roams around seeking whom he may devour. And if any of you have ever watched National Geographic or any of those shows and you watch the lions and, you know, tigers and, and all these animals that are hunting, what are they do they watch and they sit there and they watch the pack they watch the herd and they wait for what they wait for that one who got distracted 
They wait for the one who stood behind the pack, who wasn't paying attention to the leader. And when I talk about the leader, in, in our case, who is our leader? Who is the chief shepherd? It is Jesus. And when we lose focus on Christ and we lose focus on him, then what happens is we end up drifting away. And before you know it, we find ourselves being consumed by a defeated enemy. But see, by ourselves, we are very vulnerable, and we need to recognize that. So this enemy, he is very methodic. Listen, since the Garden of Eden, he's been doing what? Deceiving people. And you know, you know what is his favorite way to deceive people? His favorite way to deceive people is by using the word. Oh, you didn't hear that. His favorite way to deceive people is by using the very word of God. That's the reason why memorization is so important. Hello. Because when you memorize the word of God, you're not like Eve who was in the garden who was saying, well, you know, God said that we shouldn't do this because of this. And then when the enemy comes and says something else, well, she didn't know what else to say. You become like Jesus in the garden. Who when Satan rises up, he does what? He uses the word of God and, you know, hey, man, turn those stones into bread. I know you're hungry. No, 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 no. The Bible says man shall not live. But by every word... That proceeds out of the mouth of God. See, Jesus, and there was no question. It was not like, oh, well, you know, no, no, no. He knew the word of God, and so Satan couldn't twist the word of God. Well, hey, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, jump from this mountain, and, and no, 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 no. The Bible also says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And so what we realize is that we have to be those who know the word because Satan loves to come, and he loves to quote half scriptures. He loves to come and sound real spiritual. He's that, he's that, that's the reason why the Bible warns us of wolves in sheep's clothing. And can, and can we contextualize that for a moment? When he talks about wolves in sheep's clothing, who is he speaking about? He is talking about false prophets. Who are false prophets? Those are those people that are getting up, speaking the word of God, saying, thus says the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so what we realize is that we have an enemy who, who listen, he's, he hasn't given up the battle. He's, he's lost the fight, but he hasn't given up the battle. He's going to continue on to, to move in this. And he, goes on, and he goes on to say, he goes on to show as the apostle Paul shows in verse 13. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And it's funny because what Paul does here is he draws this conclusion. He says, for we do not wrestle. When he talks about the word wrestle, wrestling, it requires us to be very close in proximity, right? When you wrestle with someone, you can't wrestle across the room. I'm just saying. Like Lewis and I, we can look at each other all day long, but we're not going to wrestle this far away, Right? We can't even mind wrestle because we don't read each other's minds. I'm just saying. We could wrestle with looks, but I don't know if that's really wrestling, but whatever. The point is, okay, we can't really wrestle unless we're there. And in those days, in, 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 in the Roman time, when someone was wrestling, look at what, what would happen. The one who would lose the wrestling match, you want to know what would happen to them? They would gouge out their eyes. Meaning that, you know what, you're never going to wrestle again, but not just that, you're never going to see again. So remember what I just said? What does the enemy want to do? He wants to steal your vision. He wants to remove your ability to really see what it is that God wants. But Paul says, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood because here's the thing. I want to control this person. I want to control that situation. And if I can control all these things around me, then everything is going to be great. That's not true. Your battle is not flesh and blood. I know that there are grimy people out there. Hello. I know there are rude people. I know there are harsh people, hateful people. You know, the Bible talks about fools, wise people, talks about wicked people. I know that there's all kind of people. But can I tell you something? Your battle, my battle, according to Scripture, not against them. But Bishop, they're in the way. It doesn't matter. 
They are not who you are wrestling against. We are wrestling against powers and principalities. And the beauty of this is what? Jesus already defeated all of these things. He already destroyed, he already destroyed their power, but they're still lined up against who? Not against him, but against you and me. To come against us, it would be a pointless battle to try to fight God. So you know what I do? I fight God's people. But when God's people understand who they are in Christ, when they understand what they've been equipped with, which brings us to our next point here, is, is us being able to be equipped for this battle. As God's people, we must be wise to the reality of the battle that we are engaged in. Understand this. We're not supposed to be fearful. I don't want you to be fearful. I want you to be aware. I want you to recognize whenever, whenever you're going against an opponent, you know, when we, when I was in, and this is Little League, I mean, come on, man, Little League, they didn't get no money for this. But you know what we used to do in Little League before we would play another team? What we always did in our Little League games is we would sit down and we would watch the tapes of the other team. You know what they would do? They'd say, hey, man, this guy's an amazing running back. This guy's a good hitter. This guy. And they would tell us all of the different strategies, and they would show us the plays. So that way, what? We would know how we did what? How we engaged our enemy. Were we supposed to be fearful? We should have been fearful. We should have been prepared for the battle. We should have been ready for the battle. See, my hope is that when you hear things like the favorite way that the enemy likes to deceive people is using the word of God and twisting it, that you will be wise when people are talking. And just because they have a Bible open in front of them or just because they quote half a Bible verse or just because they made you feel all warm and fuzzy inside, that doesn't always mean it's Jesus. I would hope that you would be more discerning to say, man, sometimes Jesus says stuff that is harsh. Like what? Like pick up your cross and follow me. Like, that didn't make them feel all warm and fuzzy, I promise you. They weren't like, oh, Jesus, that was such an amazing word you just gave me. I just feel all warm inside. I feel like, yes, I, I got a witness in my spirit. I want to take up my cross. No, that isn't what Jesus felt. His disciples were like, okay, all right, we're going to take up this cross. We're going to deny ourselves. They understood taking up a cross. Jesus wasn't just saying, hey, man, just put on a cross on your neck. That wasn't what he was saying. Put some cross earrings on. That wasn't what he was saying. That's all good. I'm not telling you to take that off if you got it on, whatever. But that wasn't what he was talking about. In those days when someone said, it was like saying, hey, man, go to the electric chair. Go to the gas chamber. You want to follow me? Make your way there. That's what he was saying. Real life. And so what we have is this battle that we're engaged in. We're not supposed to be fearful. We're supposed to be ready for those what? He said for those evil days. Look what he says. He says that we'll be able to stand against the enemy where? On those evil days. So that way we'll be able to stand firm against those plans that the enemy has. Look what he says, verse 13. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Having done everything, you can do what? That you can stand. This is the big idea within this portion of Scripture. If you cannot stand firm, you cannot walk worthy. If you cannot stand firm, you cannot walk worthy. Any child that is about to walk, what do they do before they walk? Stand. They, well, they crawl. They obviously crawl. I'm talking, well, from, from the crawling point. Before they walk, before they walk, they have to stand up and do what? Get balance. They have to have balance. And if they don't have balance, you know, then they're going to be doing what? They're going to start moving real fast. Like my son, he just wanted to run everywhere. And so he didn't even have his balance yet. And he's running with his cheeks bouncing all over the place. And he's, you know, boom, boom. And he's rolling. Them cheeks are taking him to the right and taking him to the left. And so it took him a minute to get some balance, right? And so it's the same thing for us as children of God. We have to be able to stand firm to be able to walk worthy. Here's... Here, 
See, that, 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 that's the way they will go. See, we're falling and then we're falling. I'm just saying. So we better take advantage and we can stand. Amen? So it's important for us to have this right mindset. Understand this, church. You are not a spectator in a game. You are not a spectator watching from the sidelines saying, hey, man, you know, Al and, you know, they're, and, you know, Marlon, they're going through a battle. That's great. Let's see how they do. No, no, no. You're engaged in a battle. You are engaged in a battle. And you may not feel it all the time, but see, that's the thing. The enemy, look, he's not going to come at you all the time because then you're going to be really waiting. He's going to wait for you to just be nice and relaxed, nice and chill. Everything is good in life, and then all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere. We forgot about the battle that we were in. All of a sudden, these situations, it isn't all of a sudden. He's been scheming. He's been plotting. He's been planning. He's been working that destruction against your life. And so what do I say? I say we need to wake up because what? Because of the glory of God. And this brings us to our next point. Say this with me. Be equipped in the battle gear you were provided. Be equipped in the battle gear you were provided. He goes on to tell us in verse 14, he says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Understand this. God has equipped us with what is necessary for us to reflect our positional status before the throne of grace within our everyday practices. Let me say that again. God has equipped us with what is necessary for us to reflect our positional status status before the throne of grace within our everyday practices. We are victorious because of the cross and resurrection before the throne, and we can live in that victory presently. See, when I say that, we have a position. If you have humbled yourself before God, repented of your sins, and put your faith in Jesus, then you know what? You are standing before the throne room of grace. You're not there with your head down in shame. You are standing. As a matter of fact, what does the Bible say earlier in Ephesians? That we have been seated in heavenly places with our God, right? Is that, that, that's, the, that's what the scripture says. We've been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And so I am there seated, meaning that, you know what? I have authority, not because of myself, but because of Jesus' finished work. There's all this talk about the devil. Let's talk about Jesus for a moment, right? Because the reality is our God purchased our salvation and he gave us his right standing. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to live our lives here and now in the same victory that we have in his presence. He wants, us to, he wants that to translate. Listen, God doesn't just want you and I to feel good about ourselves. He doesn't just want us to just know some stuff. It starts with us believing by faith what the Word of God teaches, but God wants us to live out. That's the reason why we're talking about walking worthy. Because when I commit to obeying the Word of God, what happens is my life begins to reflect the victory that God purchased for me. And what he does, he tells us here, he says, listen, you are to stand firm in this. You are to put this armor on. And so I'm not going to break down every single piece down like we could really do, but I just want to point out a couple of things. The armor of God is all-encompassing. Walking worthy requires us being clothed in the armor of God, literally putting on Christ daily and decisively. We put on the armor of God. We don't just put things. Whenever, and, and in, this, in this context, most of the writers, um, this is one of the prison epistles, as we learned earlier. So Paul is in prison. And so all the time he's in prison, you know what he's surrounded by? He's surrounded by Roman officers. 
He's surrounded by Roman soldiers. And so what he's seeing all the time is he's seeing these Roman soldiers that are dressed in this certain way. And as he's in prayer or whatever, he's seeing them. And he's like, you know, they have this breastplate on. They have this belt on. They have this sword. They have this shield. They have this helmet. There's a certain way that they are dressed. And what I can tell you is this, is that anyone, um, how how many of y'all saw that movie, The Last Samurai? Y'all saw that? Raise your hand real quick just so I know who I'm talking to. Okay. So a couple of us saw that movie. Pretty good movie. At the end of the movie, right, when when, when you you see um, um, Tom Cruise, he's he's getting the samurai outfit put on, right? There's a certain method to the way they put this thing on. Like, they're not just, hey, man, just throw this thing on and just go out to fight. Because if you don't put it on right, then guess what? When you get out to battle, you're going to be messed up. You're going to be worried. It's kind of like those guys that I see with their pants hanging down, right? Like, how, like, you know, and you see, and you see sometimes, like, you know, that you see they're running around holding their pants. It's like, seriously, can you just get a belt, right? Like, what good are you with your hands here? I'm just saying, like, I'm no good with my hands here holding my pants up all the time, right? I mean, seriously. But the point is, it's the same thing. See, if someone thought they were going out to fight, they wouldn't have their pants hanging down to their butt. I'm just saying, right? They would be like, yo, they, they, as a matter of fact, let me take off as much clothing as possible realistically because what? The less clothing I have on, the less anyone can grab me, the more free I am to move. I'm just saying, right? <laughs> just get nude in battle. No, I'm not saying that, right? We're putting on the armor of God, right? It's not, a, it's not like a plug for a nudist colony. No, no, that's not what we're talking about, Okay. What we're talking about here is we are talking about us being arrayed for battle. And so the first thing that he says, there's a reason why he says this. He says, putting on or having your your loins girded with this belt of truth. The reason why was because the belt is what held all of the armor in place. And if that belt was not put on right, then guess what? He, the, the, the soldier wasn't going to be able to be the way that he was supposed to be because the belt held the, the breastplate in place and the belt held the sword. I'm just saying. So he would be really ill-equipped if he didn't have a breastplate because the breastplate is holding what? It's controlling these vital organs or protecting these vital organs. And the sword, that's his only offensive weapon that he has, right? And so here's what happens. He says to put this belt of truth on. So what does that mean? When you're putting on the belt of truth, well, Jesus is the truth, amen? And so he says to put on this belt of truth. The belt is meaning that we live in the truth, that we live lives that are truthful and that we're committed to the truth. And so here's this. It's not just the truth of God's word that he's talking about. He's talking about not denying reality. Don't deny reality. Don't act like things aren't like they are. You deal with reality. You communicate the truth to people. You love people, and you show them the truth. That's a person who puts on this belt of truth. And you know what? The way that you're going to put on the belt of truth first and foremost is by being in the word of truth, by being in the word of God, learning what the scriptures teach, but then also spending time with the truth, the person of Jesus, not just, and and listen, the word of God is living and active. And so by default, when you are spending time in the word of God, you are spending time with Jesus. Here's the problem that some of us think when we're spending time in the Bible, that it's like we're in some kind of sterile environment where it's like a school thing and we're just learning scriptures. No, you are literally putting on Christ. You are spending time with Jesus. You are in there breathing in the breath of God. The Bible is what? It's breathed in by God. And so God is breathing. You're breathing. And guess what? You're experiencing Jesus in a real and tangible way. So we put on the belt of truth. And then he goes on to say, you put on this breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is not just the righteousness of God, but it is your righteous act. So if you believe the truth, you live the truth. If you believe the truth, you live righteously. And so what is the greatest protection? It is when I learn what the word of God teaches. 
And when I learned what the Word of God teaches, I was having a conversation. I don't remember who it was. If you're in this building, I don't remember you. Uh, I don't remember the conversation with you. I remember you, but I don't remember this conversation who it was with. But we were talking about protecting and guarding our heart, right? We were talking in, in the conversation. And what I was saying to the person is, listen, you, we have a mindset of I want to protect and guard my own heart, and I'm going to cover my own heart. But hold on a second. The way that I guard and cover my heart is by living the commands of God. What happens to us is that we say, oh, no, I can't live the commands of God because i got to protect myself. That is, that's ridiculous. When I live the commands of God, what I am doing is I am entrusting myself to who? To God himself, saying, God, I'm living righteously. you got to protect my heart. I'm going to love these people unconditionally. You have to protect my heart because the choice is A or B. I am either A, going to love unconditionally, or B, I'm going to put conditions because I'm protecting my heart. I'm not talking about being abused. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't take it there because we always take it like to the extreme. Like, well, what about abuse situations? That's not you. If that is you, don't be unwise. But for the rest of us that are not in an abusive situation, we're just around hard-headed people that sometimes are really hard to love and we don't feel like loving them. And so I'm just love unconditionally. Love wisely, right? That's what, so the breastplate of righteousness, he goes on to say, then we also put on the shoes of readiness, right? Our, our feet are shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And so what does that mean? Who is our peace? Jesus. Jesus is our peace because Jesus made peace with God the Father through his sacrifice. And so the shoes are something that are, that, that's different because these shoes were like these sandals that had these spikes in the bottom. And guess what you need to have if you're going to be any kind of warrior? You need to have a solid base. You need to have some strong, you, you need to have a solid footing. You need to be able to stand firm when someone is coming against you, right? There's like a, something called a fighting stance in, in martial arts, right? I'm just saying there's a reason for that. Because when you're just like standing out like this, you, you ain't in no kind of fighting stance. Someone come and smack you. I'm just saying, right? But when you're ready to get it, it's like, all right, man, let's go. You know, like you, you're like ready to go. Because what? You're prepared for this battle, you need to have a solid ground. You need to be able to, and so what, what, what is the solid ground that we stand on? It is the gospel. It is that man is sinful, separated from God, on his way to hell. There's no hope. He can never be righteous enough to earn heaven. Jesus comes and dies in our place because of God's love, dies, sheds his blood, and he gives us the opportunity to have a right standing with him. And he allows us what? To have a relationship with him. Gives us a new name, gives us a new heart, gives us a new life, gives us new desires. That's what we stand firm on. And you know what? Being ready with the gospel is not just about you, it's about others. It's about you living in that peace and sharing that peace with other people. And then he goes on and he goes from there. He says, so we take up the shield. And then he says, and above all, and when he says above all, you need to see it like this, like above all. Not saying the most important, like over everything else you've already put on here. He's saying take up the shield of faith. And the shield of faith is for what? So you can extinguish the flaming darts of the wicked one. The enemy is shooting these darts at us, these lies, these deceptions, these things. He's shooting. And you know what? The shield of faith is what deals with that. Why are we able to have faith? Is it not God who gives us faith? We are able to have faith because of Jesus' faithfulness. And so we put on this shield of faith, and then we have this helmet of salvation. And what does that mean? That means living a life that is based on what? The salvation that I've received. 
a life that my thoughts are consumed not with this world, but my thoughts are overwhelmed by the saving grace of God. And then the last thing he says, taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so he gives us this one offensive weapon, and it is God's Word being spoken and then spoken through us. And I was telling someone, I think it might have been the same conversation I was having about the emotions, but here's the deal. what The way that Jesus battled, the way that Jesus fought when he was going against the enemy, he didn't go ahead. He, I don't even think Jesus raised his voice. Jesus did one thing. He spoke the word of God. He spoke God's word. Listen, the highest level of spiritual warfare is speaking God's word, living God's word. Speaking God's word, living God's word. Where do I speak God's word? When I am in, we're going to talk about the next thing because we talked about what? Knowing what the battle is like. We talked about being in the, in, in the, in the gear that we have been given. And the third thing, say this with me, engage in the battle. Engage in the battle zone. Engage in the battle zone. So where's this battle zone? Now look at all of this. The Apostle Paul gives us all of this. He tells us all of these things, and he brings us where? He brings us to the, to, to the end here, to verse 18. And he says, doing all of this, which is the word, which is the sword, which is the word of God in verse 17. And then he says, praying always. It's like, hold on a second. So we went from learning about this battle, we went from learning who we're fighting against, to then being clothed in this armor. And then the next thing isn't go out there and lay a smackdown on the devil. That's not what he said. And that, that isn't the next thing there. It's like, okay, you got dressed up in this battle gear, like you're ready to go fight. And then he says, praying always. Remember what I said. You cannot stand. You, you cannot walk worthy if you don't stand firm. And so here's what we learned a few weeks ago. I don't know if you remember this, but we were talking about prayer. We were talking about praying. And when we were talking about praying, it is that the normal posture for prayer was not kneeling, but it was what? Standing. And what did he tell us to do? He said, stand firm. And so what is he saying? He's, he's really preparing us for where it is that we engage. Where is this battle zone primarily and first of all? It's not in this earth because we're not battling against flesh and blood. But he's telling us that there's a place that we've been. Listen, you got all dressed up for what? To pray. How about that? You got all dressed up and no place to go. No, you got somewhere to go. You have been given these weapons, this weapon of the word of God, so you can enter into a spirit realm and you can pray. And when you can seek God and you can see the results that God wants you to see. But we need to make sure that we're engaging in the battle zone, that we realize, you know what, it's not just about, can I, t I'll tell you like this. I have recognized and realized one thing in my life. Most of the victories that I see were not won when I got to the place. They were won before I ever got there. They didn't happen when I walked into the door. You know, it's the same thing with someone who's a fighter. You know, when, when I, I gave you the example of Brother L. And, you know, when he goes and he gets into the ring, he didn't win that fight when he got into that ring. He won it there. That's when you saw the victory. And he, and he you know, won against his opponent. But know this. I mean, I know this, sir, because I watched the guy train. He has been training. And he has been working hard. And he has been preparing himself all the way up until that very moment. It's the same thing for our lives spiritually. Listen, we are going to go through battles. We're going to experience things. And sometimes we we don't even know what it is that we are going to experience. What is the trial we are going to face? But if we are what? If we are clothed in the armor of God, continuously prepared, continuously doing what the scriptures teach, then guess what? When we come into those natural battles, those natural situations, oh, of course we're going to be rocked. Of course we're going to experience some stuff. But you know what? We're still going to be able to do what? Land on our feet. 
we're still going to come out standing firm against the wiles, against the trickery, against the deception of the enemy because of what? Because we have been continuously and consistently putting on Jesus daily and decisively. It is not coincidental that the primary position of prayer is standing, and that is what the armor enables us to do, to stand. One of the greatest issues among many believers is their dependence upon themselves, revealing their ignorance of the reality of the battle they are in, where that battle is won and how the armor is used in prayer. So what does Paul tell us to pray? He tells us, praying always. Say, praying always. So the first thing that we realize is that prayers should be frequent at all times, without ceasing. He says, with all prayer and supplication. Say, with all prayer and supplication. So he gives us two things. He says, with all prayer, prayer is conversation between you and God. Supplication is asking God for something. And so the first thing that we find is that prayer should be frequent. The second thing we find is that prayer should be manifold. There should be many parts to it. Prayer is conversation with God. Prayer is thanksgiving to God. Prayer is confession of sin to God. Prayer is supplication before God. Prayer is intercession. And so prayer should be manifold. He goes on to say, in the spirit, say, in the spirit. And so prayer should be frequent, it should be manifold, it should be empowered, it should be spirit-led, it should be biblically sound. Listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't lead us to pray outside of the will that is found in the Word of God. The Spirit of God does not lead us to pray. I tell you, I'll tell you this story real quick one time. When I worked for Benny Hinn Ministries, I was a security officer there, and I think I've told you this story before. It was one of the craziest things that I've ever heard happen. I wasn't in the booth at the time, but there was a woman who was literally parked across the street, okay, from Benny Hinn Ministries with a U-Haul truck. She had packed up, moved to Florida, and she came to the gate with my supervisor there, and she told him, she told my supervisor, she said, hey, she said, I'm here because the Lord spoke to me that I'm supposed to marry Benny Hinn. Now, what the Lord forgot to tell her was that Benny Hinn was already married. Now, this lady was 100% sure that God spoke to her. 100% sure. I mean, hey, I'm, I'm saying she had the U-Haul truck to prove it. I'm just saying. It wasn't like, a, it wasn't like you know, a fly-by-night, hey, I kind of felt something. I mean, this, this was like 100% like solid. To the, to the point that she moved, brought on. And so the point is that we need to make sure that we realize that when God is speaking to us and we're praying and we're praying for things and we're praying against things, and all, make sure that we're praying in alignment with the word of God because that's how the spirit of God leads according to the heart of God, which we find written out in the word of God. So he goes on to say, he says, praying always with all prayers and supplications in the spirit, being watchful to this end. And so he goes on and he says, being watchful, say being watchful. What does being watchful mean? It means being alert. It means being clear-headed. It means having your head in the right place, having your thoughts subject to Christ, not subject to other things. I'll tell you, I will confess to you right now, there are some times that I go into prayer and I cannot even speak words. I just bow my heart before God and just worship and just say, you know what, God, I'm not going to ask you for anything because right at this moment I would ask you something that's outside of your will. I would pray for something because my mind is not clear. My heart is not clear. And so rather than try to petition you or figure something out, I surrender to you. And then I pray being watchful. He says, watchful to this end. And so what is the end that we're watchful to? Watchful so that way we can stand. And again, he goes on with all, say, with all perseverance. And so he goes ahead and he says perseverance, and that word means persistence. 
And so being persistent, so prayer should be frequent. It should be manifold. It should be empowered. It should be alert. It should be persistent. And listen to what this definition of persistent is. I'm going to give you a word. And this definition, I think, is the best one that I can see for persistence in prayer. And it means burdened until breakthrough. Persevering. Burdened until breakthrough. There's a, there, there's a guy, his name is Reese Howes. He's, he's dead. Um, and I was reading, someone gave me his book, and his book is called Intercessor. And this guy, to me, was the most amazing example of what a prayer warrior was. One time he was praying, and he was, he was, he was very radical in his prayer life. Like, he would fast, like, for months. When I say fast, like, he would eat, like, one meal a day because, you know, he really took serious, abide in me, and you will ask what you want and that kind of stuff. He really took the scripture to heart, and he used to feel like, you know what, I need to fast. I'm going to be fasting for this, one, for this time. I'm going to eat one meal. The guy worked in a coal, in a coal mine, so eating one meal, working in a coal mine, is kind of difficult, but he did it. This guy used to pray, and God used to do amazing things. And there was this one situation. There was a guy that was in the neighborhood where he was at, and he was praying for him. He was praying. He was burdened for him. He was praying, fasting, seeking God. And as he was praying for him, he said in prayer, he said, the Lord showed him he's healed. That was it. And so he said, I, he said when the Lord spoke to me and said that the guy is healed, he said, I got up and I said, I'm done praying. Well, the guy didn't get healed immediately. He said he, he went over there. The guy was still sick, getting worse, getting worse, getting worse. On his, I mean, the guy looked like he was about to die. And people were asking Reese. They were like, Reese, why is it that you're not praying for this guy? And he said, because I already prayed. And I already got an answer. And if I ask God again, that would be only a sign of my doubt. And the beauty of the story is that the man eventually ended up being healed in the natural. But it was something that already happened in the spirit. So here's what I tell you. When you are praying for something, there is only one of two places that you stop praying about something that you know is God's will. It is one, when God speaks to you and makes you know it's done. Don't ask me about it anymore. Or two, when you see it manifest in the natural. When you know something is the will of God, when you know something is God's will, that is the way that you pray. You pray, you pray burdened until breakthrough. And the last thing he says this, he says, praying always with all prayers and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Say all the saints. He goes on and says, and ask for me, say ask for me. So he goes and he asks them to pray for two things outside of themselves. So prayers should be frequent. It should be manifold. It should be empowered. It should be alert. It should be persistent. And it should be unselfish. It should be unselfish. What are you saying, Bishop? I shouldn't pray for myself? I didn't say that. What I'm saying is the bulk of your praying shouldn't be for you. That's what I am saying. Some of you, you have such a long list of things to pray for yourself, you never pray for anyone else. Right? You go into prayer, you have this, you have that, you want this, you need that. You have all of these things you pray. And you never pray for me. And yeah, please pray for me. Amen. If you love me, pray for me. You know, keep me in your prayers. I appreciate that. Pray for the other leaders in the church. How about the person next to you? If you know them, pray for them like once in a while. I'm just saying. Paul is saying, pray to God in this way, in this armor. And pray for what? Pray for me as the apostle as I go preach the gospel. For what? For the gospel to be extended. As we stand fully armed and engaged in the battle zone of prayer, we will begin to walk worthy of our calling in Christ, being empowered to live in the victory Jesus already won for us. So here's the question. Are you engaged in the battle? Are you engaged in the battle? 
And just another follow-up question to that. Have you lost ground in this battle because you haven't been alert, because you haven't been fighting this fight, because you haven't been living the way that God has called you to? And you know what the beauty of this is? The beauty of this is is that you say, no, man, I'm not engaged in the battle. God grants you the grace to repent of that and to get engaged. If you've lost ground and you've lost things because you haven't been engaged in the battle, because you've been ignorant to the fight, maybe you didn't even know the battle was going on. You know what the beauty of this is, is that the gospel is enough for you to repent of sin. And listen, I would be lying to you to tell you that you're going to get every single thing back that you lost. I can't say that because, listen, there's some things that we lose and we lose. But you know what the beauty is? You have the peace and you have the grace of God to strengthen you, to walk in everything that God wants you to walk in. That's what we have because of the beauty of the gospel. Stand to your feet and let's pray together. Grab your neighbor's hand. I want you to be that point of contact for them today. We talked about being in this armor of God. And so you being in this armor, I want you to be that person who prays for your brother, prays for your sister that is beside you. And listen, if you're in this place, and, and, I, and, and, and I say this, if you're in this place and you need someone to pray for you, please squeeze the hand of that person next to you. Let them know that you need someone to pray for you. So while I'm praying a general prayer, they can pray for you. The second thing that I want to say is this, is that if you do not know Jesus, if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, today is the day that you can surrender your will to him. Today is the day that you can repent of your sin. Today is the day that you can trust him with your life. And if that's you in this place and you don't know him, then here's what, just, uh, just pray a prayer that just ask God, God, to forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for not trusting you. Forgive me for being only concerned about the things of this world. Help me to serve you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lead my life. Be the Lord of my life. If you pray a prayer like that today, then I encourage you, A, to tell someone, I encourage you, B, that if you don't have a church, that you make a church, that you make finding a church home a priority for your life. And that you, and, and that you see, and I should say C is A, is that you start talking to Jesus every day and start reading his word and let him talk to you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so, so much, God. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for leading us today, Lord God, as we worship you. We thank you for speaking to us, Lord God, as we worship you with our ears and our hearts, as we attended to your word, my God. I thank you for the brothers and sisters that are in here, God, and for each hand that is being squeezed even now. Heavenly Father, as people are asking for prayer, God, I pray for those in here that don't know you, God, that they would repent of their sin, that they would turn to you, that they would trust you with their lives, that they would surrender their will. I pray for those brothers and sisters that are in here, God, that may have lost things because of the ignorance to the battle, but God, today, I pray that you fill them with faith. I pray that you fill them with peace. I pray that you restore their hearts, my God, that they would be able to trust you and thank you for the greatness of your grace, my God. Father, I pray for us, Lord Jesus, that, Lord, may be, may be idle in the battle, my God, that may not be engaged as we should. Oh, Father God, may you strengthen our faith as well. May you awaken us, Lord God, to the realities of this spiritual 
spiritual battle. And Father God, right now, based on the premise of what Jesus has done, Lord God, I stand firm in the gap on behalf of my brothers and sisters, and I pray against the works and the effects and the plans of the enemy against marriages, against finances, against homes, my God, against work, my Lord. Father God, I come against the works of the enemy, against what you want to do in this place, my God. Father, may you glorify your name, even as you did in your son, my God. I pray that we would be focused on you, aligned with you, Lord God, clothed in your armor, Lord God, standing firm in you and walking worthy for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' great name, someone said, Come on, give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.